I fear not the dark itself, but what may lurk within it. Welcome to Lurk, bringing you creepy, strange, and bone-chilling stories with your host, Jamie Jackson. Welcome to this week's episode. Just a reminder that we have the Lurk Patreon, and for only $5 a month, you can get extra episodes, a shout out, and a sticker, plus whatever extra stuff I throw in there. This week for our episode, we are going to be hitting the trail again. The Haunted Trail, that is. This Haunted Trail series is about creepy stories from along the Appalachian National Scenic Trail that runs from Georgia to Maine and travels through 14 states. It is currently 2,198.4 miles long. It changes length a little each year since sometimes more land is purchased in order to avoid going into a town or to avoid roads or obstacles. We just recently finished up the state of Virginia, only a couple of weeks ago, And even though it wasn't that long ago, I have opted to get West Virginia done as well. As far as mileage on the trail, West Virginia has the least miles with only four. Despite that, it has quite a few stories because those miles travel through the rich historical area of Harper's Ferry. According to the National Park Service, Harper's Ferry witnessed the first successful integration of interchangeable manufacture, the arrival of the first successful American Railroad, John Brown's attack on slavery, the largest surrender of federal troops during the Civil War, and the education of formerly enslaved people in one of the earliest integrated schools in the United States. In 1747, Robert Harper visited the area where the Potomac and the Shenandoah Rivers met. At the time, the area was known as The Hole. Harper purchased the existing ferry from Peter Stevens, built a mill, and ultimately improved the ferry service. Harper's original cabin was lost in a flood, so he built his new home high above the floodplain. Also of important note, the Harpers were heavily taxed in 1775 by the British, who were trying to fund the expensive French and Indian War. During the Revolutionary War, it was hard to find workers, so Harper was forced to do most of the work on the house himself, but eventually his health began to fail. The Harpers made a boatload of money with their ferry service. Fearing roaming bands of thieves and not wanting to be taxed heavily, Robert Harper told his wife Rachel to bury all their gold and to tell no one where it was located. Harper ended up dying before his house could be finished. Mrs. Harper tried to finish the house herself, but fell from a ladder and was killed instantly, taking with her the secret location of the gold. I will tell you, there are some sources that say Mrs. Harper died first, and then Mr. Harper died after her from illness. Either way, the Harpers are dead. During the 1800s, the house was rumored to be haunted, and the locals were afraid of it. People have claimed to see an old woman dressed in 18th century clothing looking out the upper window with her gaze fixed upon the garden. 
Perhaps it is Mrs. Rachel Harper keeping watch over the family gold. Mr. Harper is also thought to be haunting the house. Though no ghostly apparitions of Mr. Harper have been seen, those who are more sensitive have felt a male presence in the house. The Harper house is located at 107 Public Way, in case you wanted to check it out. Next to the Harper house is the Wager House, or Marmion Hall. The house was built in 1832 to 1834 by James B. Wager to be the main dwelling for his family, who were amongst the wealthiest citizens. Then, in 1847, the house was purchased by local doctor, Dr. Nicholas Marmion, who renamed the property Marmion Hall. The house witnessed the Civil War and was one of the few structures that was not abandoned. The Marmion family stayed throughout the entire Civil War and endured the fighting. The property was eventually acquired by the Park Service and used to house guests and researchers. Many visitors claim to see three different apparitions. One is a very handsome man wearing a brocade vest seen at the top of the servants' stairs, and he has a menacing glare. Witnesses notice his vest, top hat, and walking stick. One woman thought he was a park employee and called out a greeting to him. He grimaced at her as she started to walk towards him, asking what he was doing in the house. His face looked angrier and she became frightened. She decided to go to her bedroom, but didn't want to get trapped there, so she opened the door to her balcony and felt a sensation like a fist coming down on her shoulder. She stumbled and caught herself, and when she turned around, the man was gone. One woman claimed that when she was fleeing the apparition, something shoved her from behind. The second ghost seen at the house is also seen on a staircase. A woman wearing a long gray hooded cloak is seen standing at the curve of the hall staircase. Sometimes her hood is up and she looks down the hallway. She holds the hand of a little girl about the age of eight years old. The little girl is dressed in traveling clothes from the 1800s. The woman and girl typically vanish right before your eyes. And the third apparition is usually spotted in the living room. One visitor to the house woke up from a nap to see a man dressed in 19th century clothing walking across his room with a man slung across his shoulders. The man on the shoulders appeared to be dead. The apparition carried the dead body across the room out into the hall and vanished. The home is no longer used for guests, but now houses the park's library. Next up is the Iron Horse Inn on Potomac Street. The building was built in 1799 as home to the first superintendent of the U.S. Armory in Harpers Ferry. During the Civil War, it housed both Union and Confederate soldiers at different times. The building was auctioned off after the war and was a private residence until the late 1960s when it was turned into an inn. In the 1970s, Shirley Daughtry was the owner. Her daughter-in-law and son were closing up for the night one night. And as the daughter-in-law was upstairs changing clothes, she heard the door begin to shake violently, then heard the sound of something falling down the steps. Thinking her husband had fallen, she quickly ran down and met him. 
he was in a similar panic, thinking she had fallen. During the Civil War, the town was occupied by the Union Army. A young Confederate spy was sent to infiltrate the area. As he walked down Potomac Street, he noticed guards ahead and began walking in the opposite direction. When the guards called for him to stop, he panicked and fled into the nearest building, ran to the top of the stairs, and tried to get into a room. He stumbled into a room full of Union officers. One officer shot the boy in the chest, and the impact pushed him backwards down the steps. It seems now he's doomed to continue the event of his death over and over again. Other things have happened in the Iron Horse Inn. A kerosene lamp was known to hurl itself across the room on a weekly basis. In fact, it flew off its spot in the mantle every Saturday for nine weeks straight. There's also a ghost who likes to play with water. It has thrown water on the family in the area of the stairs several times. Sadly, with the death of Daltrey, the Iron Horse Inn is no longer operating, and the building was converted to apartments. Another location in Harper's Ferry is the Haunted College or Booth House. John Wilkes Booth, the nationally known actor and later presidential assassin, visited Harper's Ferry several times and rented a room at the cottage, sometimes inviting a lady friend with him. Over the years, the cottage has served many purposes. It was rented to families, and there has been enough talk to earn it the reputation of being one of the most haunted buildings in Harper's Ferry. Vince Wilson, paranormal author, rented the cottage, and while there, heard footsteps, sounds, had physical sensations, heard singing, and people talking. Some have said they feel something pulling their hair or have their clothing tugged. Shadowy figures have been seen and objects have been seen moving on their own. Today the property is used as an Airbnb rental associated with the KOA campground located right next door. I have personally visited the haunted cottage myself and was able to record a couple of EVP. The first one has some garbled things in it, but nothing is too clear. I'm going to play that for you now. Now, the second recording I have doesn't have much in it other than my son, who was very young at the time, asking who was looking at him near the end. The Booth House, if you're interested, is located at 43 Old Taylor Lane. And of course, you are welcome to find it on Airbnb and rent it yourself for a night. And of course, you can't visit Harper's Ferry without hearing about the infamous John Brown. John Brown was a radical abolitionist. An abolitionist, if you're not sure, was someone who sought to abolish slavery or get rid of it. John Brown was originally from Kansas, but traveled the country inciting fights. He was so passionate about his cause that even his followers thought that he was a madman. In 1859, 
John Brown came up with the idea to seize control of the armory in Harper's Ferry and arm slaves throughout the region. He expected to end up with an army of slaves who would come to Harper's Ferry and rally around him. Brown and his men, about 15 to 20, planned their attack in a farmhouse across the Potomac River. They collected weapons that included pikes, sledgehammers, and crowbars. Brown, though passionate about his cause, was not well organized and kept changing his plans. On October 16th, Brown and his men, including his sons and four black men, launched their attack. They seized slaveholders as hostages. They cut the telegraph lines and captured a Baltimore and Ohio passenger train. Raiders shot at the bridge night watchman and mortally wounded the baggage master, who was a freed slave. He ended up dying. By early the next morning, John Brown and his men were holed up inside the armory. The townspeople, many of, hu- many of whom were furious over the death of the freed slave, surrounded the armory building and cut off Brown's escape route back across the river. Brown, his men, and their hostages moved to the firehouse, a smaller building that later became known as John Brown's Fort. Shooting ensued. Washington, D.C. sent Marines that entered the building and ended the raid. Four townspeople and ten of Brown's men were killed. John Brown was wounded and captured and tried and eventually hung in Charlestown, West Virginia. It's said that his eyes continued to shine even after his death, which terrified the onlookers so much that candle wax was poured on his eyes. And just so you know, I really watered down the whole John Brown raid because this is a ghost podcast and not a history one. If you're interested in the whole story, look it up, but I gave you a basic outline of what happened. But with all the violence and such a crazy maniac, is it surprising to hear that people claim to see a white-haired man with a small black dog walking around town? Tourists take this man's photograph, noting his resemblance to John Brown, but he never shows up in their photos. The figure walks down the street to the door of the fire engine house, where he vanishes. Voices and gunfire have been heard coming from inside the firehouse on the anniversary of the raid, and apparitions of the raiders have been seen as well. One of John Brown's raiders was a freed slave named named Dangerfield Newby, and he was the first raider killed that night. He He was freed by his white father and had a wife and kids still in slavery in Warrington, in Warrington, Virginia. Newby joined John Brown in order to try to free his family. During the raid, there was little ammunition for guns, so the townspeople fired anything they could, like six-inch spikes. One of those spikes struck Newby in the throat, and he was killed instantly. The townspeople took the body and stabbed it repeatedly, then left the mutilated body in the alley to be eaten by hogs. In what is known as Hog Alley, There is a man seen dressed in baggy pants and a slouch hat with a gash across his throat. Not an apparition I would like to come across. Moving now to a time before the Civil War, 
The Harpers Ferry Railroad was built in 1833, linking the town with the east part of the tracks. It passed through the armory yard where old sheds stood. The poor people of the area used the abandoned sheds as shelter. Jenny was such a woman, who was down on her luck, who lived in one of these sheds. One chilly night she got a little too close to the fire, and her dress caught on fire. She panicked and fled the shack, running down the railroad tracks. She was struck and killed by the night train. Today, engineers do not like coming through Harper's Ferry on misty nights because they sometimes see a ball of fire emitting unearthly screams. They try to stop the train, but never in time. There's a bump, but when they stop to investigate, there's nothing there. If you hear the whistle blowing wildly, you can be sure Jenny has shown up again. And then on the hill above Harper's Ferry sits St. Peter's Catholic Church, accessible only by a steep set of steps. St. Peter's was the third church in town and built in the early 1830s on land donated by Robert Harper. It was restored and enlarged in 1889 and has been in continuous service since the renovation. It was the only church to survive the Civil War intact. During the Civil War, Father Costello remained behind to attend his church. He would raise the British flag from the steeple whenever the armies would shell the town for Maryland Heights. Both sides, fearing international incident, would fire on another target. During the war, the church was used as a hospital, and Father Costello cared for the wounded. One wounded soldier, a young Catholic boy, was comforted by the fact that he was going to be cared for in a church. He remained in the yard until evening because his wounds weren't as bad as others. He grew weaker, and as he was carried into the church across the threshold, he said, Thank God I'm saved, and he died. People say some nights they see a glow on the threshold and hear a weak voice whisper, Thank God I'm saved. And sometimes in the evening around dusk, visitors say they pass the church and they meet an old priest coming from the rectory wearing the black, wearing a black friar's hat. They stop to speak, but the father never returns their greetings. They watch him as he turns and walks right through the doorless wall into the church. In 1798, the new nation was in danger of a war with France, and troops were sent to Harper's Ferry under General Pinckney. They camped on the ridge around the bend of, the, of High Street, now called Camp Hill. Because no war developed, the soldiers were bored, so in the evenings they treated the town to a parade. They marched through town playing fifes and drums. Many of the men ended up developing cholera and were buried on the west bank of Camp Hill. Today, residents sometimes hear fifes and drums and go to the window expecting to see a parade, but there's no one there. The music grows closer, then fades away. At the beginning of the Civil War, many thought it would be a short conflict. Silly people. Recruits were enlisted for short periods that did not allow for sufficient training in basic combat. In July of 1861, a force of 100-day men from Ohio were stationed on Maryland Heights. 
It had been raining hard, so at dinner time they looked for some dry place to build their fire. They found several large ammunition shells and heaped their meager supply of sticks and dry tinder on the shells. While they were all cozy sitting around their blazing fires cooking their rations, there was a terrible explosion that shook the mountain. All of the men died. And now mysterious lights are seen on Maryland Heights, but when it's investigated, there's nothing there. Other ghostly campfires are seen, accompanied by the smell of sulfur, ghost smoke, and the sounds of cannons firing and bayonets clashing. Maryland Heights is now part of the Harpers Ferry National Park and features hiking trails with spectacular views. There's also some possible buried treasure in the area, and I'm not talking about the treasure buried by Mrs. Harper. There is reportedly a buried treasure between Nolan's Ferry and Monocacy. It can be found if you follow the ghost of the robber who was seen on moonless nights crossing the Monocacy Aqueduct, carrying a lantern. And our last story takes place in Harper Cemetery, which is actually located right along the Appalachian Trail. Dr. Brown, who worked for the U.S. War Department, was sent to Harper's Ferry in the early 1800s to treat ailments of the armory workers. Dr. Brown had spent some time in the West and had learned some healing methods of the Native Americans. He died in 1833, but he apparently believed that he could resurrect himself from the dead. I'm not sure how that works once you're actually dead, though. His will stipulated that he had to be buried in Harper Cemetery, standing upright in his casket with his head above the ground. The casket was to have a glass window for his head. He left money for two men to attend his grave for nine days and nights, around the clock, to be there to assist him when he was resurrected. But the nine days and nights passed with no resurrection. His hired help left, and no one bothered to rebury Dr. Brown's body, so he was left standing with his head above the ground. The glass window eventually broke, and his head became detached from his body. Legend says the local kids used his head as a kickball. The skull was allegedly taken by someone and kept. There have been a handful of paranormal investigations in the area with some EVPs and strange temperature anomalies. But keep an eye out when you hike past the cemetery. You may see Dr. Brown roaming around looking for his missing head. That's going to do it for this episode of Lurk and the latest installment of the Haunted Trail. The next state we will be tackling is Maryland, so look for that in the near future. Remember, you can find Lurk on Spotify or wherever it is that you listen to your favorite podcasts. You can also find episodes at lurkpodcast.com, where you'll also find links to our social media accounts. Make sure you follow or like us on Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter. We have two vendor shows coming up, one August 26th in Reynoldsville, Pennsylvania, and September 30th in Whitehall, New York. I also have some investigations and research planned for locations near both of those vending shows. Don't forget about the Patreon account, and until next time, keep lurking.